Cherie Clonan isn't your typical agency owner. By her own admission, she's radically different. She runs her business with both her head and her heart, and she has a deep fascination with people. So, how did this proudly autistic leader come to create the sometimes nicest place on the internet? Let's find out. Hi, I'm Sarah Spence. I grew a content agency from just me to 20 people inside two years. So you'd think I'd have my shit together. And even though I try to come at everything with a rebellious curiosity, I've been so focused on growing this thing that I'm a bit behind in the trends. Join me on this journey to find out what's actually happening in the world of marketing. Welcome to The Content Rebels. Marketing in a digital world. It's innovative, fast-changing, and utterly overwhelming. So how do you stay up to date? Or even ahead of the curve? How do you know which new digital wave is actually worth riding? Today, you and I, we're going to get schooled on where digital marketing is up to, where it's heading, and how you can go there without throwing away your values. Meet Cherie Clonan. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) She's the Chief Executive Officer at The Digital Picnic. My tiny little agency here in Melbourne. I love what I do. I love it. But that isn't where this journey started for her. In fact, it started in a totally different job when the world seemed like a totally different place. I was on a completely different path um, working as a mental health clinician and genuinely loved what I did. I, you know, I did the postgrad in mental health and I was on the path that I thought I was suited to, except that it became so clinical the higher up you got. And, you know, I just thought I want to be creative, you know, and so I started writing and wrote this, you know, I say this in inverted commas, but like a silly little blog about my silly little family. (laughs) That was enough. That was enough to fill the cup up and just wrote and wrote and wrote my little heart out. I've always loved writing. And basically, long story short, very, very long story short, that blog went from three readers, like my dad, my husband and my sister, you know, to 60,000 unique um, views per month. And I just thought, oh, okay, I don't feel comfortable with this because I'm writing about my family. So by then, you know, I was already starting to write for like larger online publications, got pulled in-house, began a career as a copywriter um, and dipped from, you know, the previous career completely because that just filled, and with a significant pay cut, by the way, (laughs) um, it just filled my cup up so much more. That's the transfer from, you know, mental health clinician to copywriter and then that little tap on the shoulder that you get as a copywriter, which I'm sure any copywriters listening, you know, can relate to where they say the strategy department's under-resourced, can we pull you across? And I never came back. That's so cool. I didn't know that story of your your pre-life, actually. That's um, so great. And what, you know, a good link even because the impact you were having in that career, you can do that kind of tenfold in this career with your team and with the audiences that you create content for. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I feel really lucky. I hope anyone listening doesn't feel like they're stuck in one career, you know, and then it's sometimes something else is so perfectly suited to the one day now and you know, 2023, where I'm leading a team and every week I'm thinking I'm so grateful for that postgrad and mental health, you know, because it means I get to do what I do here at TDP in in just a slightly different way. Can you tell us a bit about the Digital Picnic or TDP and what do you do? Who do you do it for? I just passionately believe that the best digital marketing practitioners teach digital 
And then I think the best digital marketing teachers are still on the tools practicing. And so that's what we do. We literally teach and manage the digital marketing efforts of our client portfolio uh, and also teach an array of incredible students, not just here in Australia, but, you know, around the world um, and teach them digital marketing. I'd say the percentages, sometimes it feels like 70% management services, 30% teaching, but it you never know, the climate changes those um, percentages here and there. But either way, we're always teaching and managing and we love, I love what I do. I love it. Are they two very separate audiences for you, the the management, you know, ideal audience versus the, the learning ideal audience? Are they different or is there crossover? That's a really good question. I feel like um, it, they should, right? You would think they would be different audiences, but for some surreal great reason the majority of clients on our portfolio were our students first which means they're a green flag <laughs> they already respect everything enough because they've they've done the, they've done the learning and what it means is we can just um show up on social and just really show up as us um because who we're attracting they often start by being taught by us and then become the client because they back us once they've been taught and really seeing the behind the scenes, not just the wishy-washy social, like, oh, hey, social's fun. You know, they see, whoa, this is not even a full-time job. This is multiple people. I'm not the most avid user of the word funnel. I, I love a funnel. Don't, I respect a funnel, but I don't use it a lot in my everyday vocabulary. But to us, we feel like we've got the most, we've got this beautiful funnel where people start as a student and become clients. What made you actually take that jump, I guess, when you, you know, were tapped on the shoulder and like brought in-house, et cetera, what made you go from that and your safe employed roles to starting your own thing? It's the obvious that I think any probably, I just hear this story in so many working parenthood stories, but it was a really non-family friendly, you know, return to work where um, suddenly uh, I just, I was acutely aware that I was going to, I was going to be expected to pull the same 12 plus 14 ish hour days but the difference is I wasn't the same person returning to that seat you know and um I had a baby with you know a, a young baby um I think I returned to work when my son was 10 weeks old um so pumped full of hormones bad <laughs> choices let me tell you um and uh you know I, he he had reflux he had blisters all the way down his throat he cried all day long and the crying only stopped when he went to sleep you know um so there was no reprieve and I was struggling and I just knew I sat in that seat and I thought I'm going to and I say this in inverted commas but like let you down I'm not going to hit it like I used to hit it before so that definitely factored in and you know the reintroduction to the workforce post you know, parental leave wasn't amazing um, at all. Actually, it was the polar freaking opposite. And then the other factor at play was just way, way back before that day, I sat in the relevant tertiary qualifications and I remember waiting to be taught how to practically do my job and it never happened. And I thought there's a gap in the market here. And I knew back then as a student, racking up tens of thousands of dollars of debt to not even know how to literally put a paid ads campaign together or put a strategy together from start to finish or, you know, just the practical things. And I thought one day when I have enough experience, credibility, just all the things I was waiting for, you know, I, I'm going to launch in and teach that all sort of collided, like a, a non-family friendly return to work, the, the knowing that one day I'll teach this, you know. Um, and so I did. I launched into it in October 2014 
no business plan. Um, telling my husband, I'm just going to teach a couple of social media workshops on a weekend and see how it all works out. It's, it's working out. So who would have thunk it? So hang on a sec. I just want to pause. Cherie and the Digital Picnic did something there that at first thought most people wouldn't think would actually work. They were teaching people, but then offering to do for them the thing that they'd just taught them. And that's the whole thing about digital marketing. It's complex. It's big. It's a whole team thing. You can't just do it as an individual. And when people find that out, well, it does make more sense to hand it over. And the cost makes more sense too. And when you think about it that way, suddenly that doesn't sound like a strange idea. But it's not the only winning formula for TDP. There's something else, something radically different. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. Sometimes in those, you know, vulnerable neurodivergent moments, I wonder, am I approaching this the wrong way? I don't know. But um, I can't be anything other than, you know, radically authentic, radically transparent, just, yeah, radically real. <laughs> um, all of the radicals, really. Um, I want to walk the walk and show people. I, I don't want to be that agency that leaves their own socials um, to the very bottom of the priority list. Like we prioritize us as if we were a client. We treat ourselves as if we were a client and we show our clients what we're made of every day. You know, and so instead of posting once a month with a, hi, this is Brian. Brian loves coffee, SEO, and his Kavoodle. Please sign up to our SEO packages link in bio. You know, that will just literally never be us. Um, that is so freaking boring. And I know you're a subscriber to the same like philosophies, like no more Brian, man. Like, come on. So what we do instead is we just, um, you know, we wear our content marketing hearts on our social media sleeves <laughs> and we just share the living bejeebus out of us, you know, and I'm respectful to my team. I've got a big team of introverts, but we still, yeah, we just, we show up and share us. It's very humanized. It's progressive. It's loud. It's proud. It's different. And I'm proud of our differences online. I'm sure we could talk about this for hours, but how do you feel that the industry has changed Or is it not even worth talking about because it's just so different? (laughs) It's so different. And the industry was going to change anyway, but haven't we lived through our like particular lifetime with one in 100 year type situations going on that generations beyond us, you know, apparently won't kind of live, you know, through. So I think our industry was always going to change anyway. It's, It's literally digital, but COVID and you know, this year as well, it's just changing so much about the industry that I'm in. But the truth is, I guess, knowing all of that, I would say, I think I'm the right person for this industry because I love change. Even as an autistic woman, apparently we don't like change. I don't like Dave, don't change my cutlery. Let's go to the same restaurant every Saturday. Let's sit at the same freaking table, book it at the same time because I want the same predictable acoustics going on, let me tell you. But um by the way, I'm down for changing digital strategies, you know, as required and so on, literally all year round. Yeah. And I'd say, you know, from what I know of you as well, that you're also incredibly well suited to leading a team through that change, because that's, that's a whole other thing to actually being okay with the change, but then leading a a team and agency and your clients and your audience, your learning, um, you know, education audience through that as well is, is a whole nother kettle of fish. 
Okay, how about the future then? Where do you see us going in the future? The truth is I don't actually know where this industry is headed. I'd be lying. I'd be Nostradamus and so on. Like, I guess I'm going to put hopes in instead. I hope that it continues to head to a direction where people um, seem to build more and more respect for what we're doing. And I would especially like to see a point where they're willing to pay more for that because I don't think we're there yet. I think the respect is building, but I, I think people are like, really respect you, but holy shit, that's far too much. <laughs> Bring it down, you know, and we're still there. And that's not fair because I, from my perspective, I'm expected to somehow find a way to continue to possibly, you know, increase in X, Y, Z ways. Um, so I would like to see just a continued growth of the, you know, the respect for the people working in this this industry and, you know, what they're doing for it. Outside of that, I, I just don't know. I I think every single month something changes so much. Like who would have ever thought that there was ever going to be a month where TikTok had more search than Google, you know, for example, I would never have seen that coming. AI is just, you, you know it better than I do. It is going to completely transform this industry. Um, and outside of that, my only other prediction is that I really do think that more and more brands, um, organizations and so on are probably going to bring marketing like as in organic in-house more and they're going to need education and you know they'll end up outsourcing more on the specialized services that even if they brought them in-house they're relying on a like I say this in inverted commas but unicorn to somehow bring that home and I just I think that's not really fair you know so I think you'd probably be better off um, outsourcing to a team of specialists. On your point around the value increasing or the perception of value increasing of what we do. I would absolutely love that to happen as well. My concern at the moment is that AI and particularly chat GPT is it's obviously going to have a big impact. We can talk a bit about that in a second too, but um, I hope that brands particularly continue to see the value in the human creativity and in the strategy and also in the outsider's perspective because there's a lot of great things that incredibly experienced people can do in-house in teams. And we see that all the time across all our clients. Um, but uh, an outsider's perspective is is so important. So I'm, I'm hopeful that what will mostly, I guess, continue to be seen as really valuable is that the strategy and the creativity. And then, of course, the kind of overflow of being able to make that happen. They can, you know, hopefully also use us. I couldn't agree more. I just hope that people are aware, you know, for the ones who are sitting there heart poundy a little bit thinking is, is AI going to take my job? I just want to scream from the rooftops. No, the human being who knows how to master the prompts and, you know, just um, literally master AI is going to be the one that takes your job. So it's going to be a human who knows how to use AI to do their jobs better that will take your job, not AI. And I mean, the thing is, yeah, with, with ChatGPT or any of the kind of any AI models these days, especially those ac accessing those large um, language models, ultimately it comes down to the fact that what we are asking of it, regardless of how good the prompt is, is what we're asking of it is that it's kind of given the statistical distribution of words in everything that you have been fed with, what words are those most likely to follow a particular question or a particular prompt that we're putting in there? That's that's all it is. That's all it's actually good for. It speaks with such confidence back to us. Um, it's a whole con confabulation, you know, a, a, an untruth presented confidently as the truth. 
And that's what I feel like it it is. And it's wonderful and I absolutely love it and we're using it, but we're really careful about how we're using it. It reminds me of sitting in corporate boardrooms, listening to someone speak so confidently. We've all worked with that person. We can probably visualize them in our heads right now. And I'm like, you sound confident, but you're shit. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Further to that point, I guess, in talking about brands and what they value, what are the biggest mistakes, I guess, or opportunities, whichever way you want to put it, are you seeing that brands are making when it comes to digital marketing? I think especially, you know, relevant this year in 2023, as we are in this economic downturn. And I think what perhaps is a relevant answer to this question, even six months ago would be different to now. I mean, I'll go in really biased here and because I obviously am heading up an agency that specializes in paid. I think the mistake that we're seeing a lot in this climate is people thinking paid is the solution to all of their problems, you know, that they can pull this one lever and suddenly their <laughs> P&L will look a lot healthier. And I just think we are so integrity led that we can sniff that out within seconds of speaking to a prospective client. And it's a no from us because I don't want to go down with that ship, you know, um, and I don't want them to think that TDP are the reason that they failed, you know. Um, you would know better than I do that there's just so many things that led them to this place where paid was never going to work for them right down to the web experience, the the product, the offering, you know, and so on. And I'm not going to say that we only do paid, um, but that is what we do. And we represent paid in a really good way. And we do really big things for our clients, you know, but we need lots of the other things to be working before we do that. And I don't want to expand my agency to you know, 70, 100 people to be able to go so holistic to get them, you know, to a spot where it's like, don't worry if it's shit, we'll fix it at this step and that and that before you get to paid. I don't want to be that big. I want to just stay in my lane. I love paid. I love the impacts that it can have on a business and, you know, so on. But um, yeah, just people thinking that paid is the solution is quite dangerous. Um, And I think they're going to get sold a pipe dream from people lacking integrity the way that we do, where they'll get a yes from them after a no from us. You know, that's the big thing that we're seeing. And what we would love to tell everyone is for us to get to the yes, there's not a lot of levers that you'd need to pull, you know, before we we said you're ready. And it's like respecting organic, organic SMM, you know, um, the way that that'll reduce your paid ads dollars in terms of being able to put them more onto warm audiences than like super, super cold. That's so expensive. And I don't want to play with too many of those cold, cold dollars um, because, yeah, we'll get results. But it's like, of course, we just threw 10K at it and it's bloody expensive. I'd much rather play around with warm dollars and warm dollars, for, you know, come from for us, leads that have bucket loads of respect for organic social media. They've got something consistent going on. It's good. They're regularly, you know, leading people to their website. The web experience is good. I guess educating themselves and saying, I I can do better than this. Just talking about the kind of current climate, like what we saw to begin with was brands really betting down into those longer term strategies of which we do here at content copywriting, the kind of longer term SEO and content marketing strategies. Um, but then in the last few months, I think as things have got even tighter, there's been a big shift towards no. We just need fast action and fast results. Um, But I am worried also about the impact of that short-term thinking. Yeah, it's sometimes that we're not asking for more in terms of what they're paying. It's just like help us meet, you know, this social platform where it's currently at. 
And sometimes they think, Christ, I'm paying to get bossed around by this crew. And we're like, no, we're just heroing your best practice strategy. Like we want you to win. When you win, we win. We do get pushed back. I can't afford more. I haven't got more time. Um, I'm paying you. You need to do this, you know, and so on. But it, it starts with those kind of statements. And because we're teachers as well as practitioners, we can always teach them out of that, you know, fixed kind of mindset. And we can usually bring most around, you know, and say, hey, we're just help us help you. This year, especially, and all of 2022 transformed our industry. So I'm talking more social media marketing, to be honest, but digital too. Um, but uh, the conversations we're having with clients is they can see, they can see right in front of their very eyes, just how much social platforms transformed in the space of literally 12 months. And anyone who can't recognize how much more expensive it is to show up to these social platforms in a best practice way is head in the sand. They know they're just sticking their head in the sand. Now, you know, for example, let's just use Instagram as a social platform. That's become four platforms in one. And it is the least profitable work we are currently doing in terms of like offering organic social media management because of how much these platforms are changing because we recognize trying to bump up retainers to meet how much it costs to manage this. Well, it pushes retainers to a point where maybe people wouldn't even have ongoing conversations with us anymore. So we're taking things out, but it does chip away, you know, at best practice. And so more than ever now, we're focusing on educating so that we can teach our clients to do more in-house in collaboration with us. To do marketing full stop well is actually is such a bigger undertaking than I think anyone really realises. And we want to work in partnership with our brands and our clients, but if they obviously can't afford to to pay for that to happen, then it's absolutely critical that we're supporting them to build those skills internally. Do you feel like a solely, I mean, you kind of already answered, but a solely social focused, social organic and social paid focused strategy is sufficient I just really think it is that omni experience this year. And maybe people listening will be like, damn it. <laughs> so, I mean, omni, yeah, absolutely. But do what you can afford and resource and so on. And if you're looking for quicker, I'm not going to say quick, but quicker, you know, wins, then just really try to nail the few tiny quick wins that you can to just scale a little bit to build out to that, obviously, like holy grail of the omni experience. But I don't want things to compete. Like it should all just work, you know, in collaboration together. I recently spoke um, at an event where one piece of advice was to pull away from paid completely. Um, and I just thought, oh, <laughs> that's a big assertion, you know. Um, and I mean, I, I disagree with that, but I respectfully disagree with that. And I thought, let's not compete here because me coming from paid, I can complement what you do. And when you're nailing it, our paid ads campaigns do so much better. So yeah, I just, I really hope that people can look at this climate. I know it's a more intimidating one. Trust me, I I sit with the same like, oh, sort of, you know, moments week to week where I'm like, please, what, just get this to 2024, please. Let's just stop here for a second and recap. Because what Sheree and I have just given you I think is quite a masterclass in digital content. It's so hard to predict the future, and we've seen that definitely with the onslaught of AI development this year. 
Things are literally changing by the minute. And then we've got tighter budgets on top of that and also trying to balance the need to invest for when times do get better. This is an issue for both brands and small businesses and freelancers too. But of course, there's another factor in all of this, the people who make up the agency. Cherie has crafted a workplace that actively goes against the reputation that some of the more traditional agencies in our space have for being just, well, a bit toxic. Instead, it's a culture that encourages authenticity and creativity. And it's something that I have taken a hell of a lot of inspiration from over the years, even before I had met Cherie. So I wanted to know from someone who has done it, if this incredible type of culture can really become the norm in our industry. And I'd put myself in that boat. You know, I've built an incredible culture that I'm really proud of. And that's why I had to ask her this question. Do you think that, especially in in times like we're in at the moment, I guess, can people over profit truly lead to better outcomes for employees, clients and business owners? Or are we fighting a losing battle? Gosh, it's such a good question. Um, You asked can it be people over profit and have, can it have good outcomes for people and so on? And like, I'm like, yes, yes. And then when you said business, I'm like, not really. <laughs> um, look, I am people over profit, but I promise I take the hits big time. I would be making so much more if I cared so much less about people. So I don't, I can't answer dishonestly there. You know, if you choose the people over profit game, just be prepared for the fact that you, I'm going to be lowered into the ground with um millions of dollars less than others and I couldn't care less. I definitely financially take hits every single week because of my approach and I'll never change it because I am big on legacy and I want to make sure that I've as to the best of my ability done the best thing I can for the people that I employ throughout my professional lifetime. I will say there are two people that are becoming more important in that equation. It's my two children who are growing up in a time where I just can't see how our kids are ever going to own a freaking house, you know. Um, So I am starting to just shake it up a bit and say, hey, Sheree, there's two other stakeholders that you're not factoring in here. So, you know, um, don't forget your two children. As for the industry, um, I'm an industry disruptor, but I'm still, honestly, I'm not perfect. I reckon I'd have weeks, months and so on where I'm toxic. I'm just as toxic as the rest of this bloody industry is. You know, I'm a prolific people pleaser and that's toxic within itself. Um, I'm still fighting the good fight with regards to overwork and so on and reducing and trying to make the, the differentiation more obvious between hunger and hustle, you know, and it is a weekly freaking battle. But the truth is, I think the really shit, poisonous, toxic folk within this industry never even get to Friday reflecting on any of that. I think something you and I have both experienced in building these these really lovely cultures is that it's really hard to keep it up all the time, um, as you've just mentioned, but also it can't just be it's nice all the time and, you know, you're only going to have you know, not that much work on all the time and we're going to have space for creativity all the time. And that's been a really interesting transition for me to lead with the team um, because people, especially who started with us, it was not the best change for them (laughs) because they came into a place where we were really cruisy and we really had a lot of space for that. But as the business has grown and got busier and busier, I definitely still prescribe to, actually, I was going to say people over profit, but 
what I'd like to say I prescribe to these days is people and profit. Our tagline is that we're apparently the nicest place on the internet. That was our tagline developed by our own clients, students, and so on. And as you heard me say, Sarah, on our recent leadership retreat, sometimes TDP is not the nicest place on the internet. Sometimes we're rolling up our sleeves in reporting week, getting our asses served to us on a platter. You know, other times we are under-resourced because there's just been sick leave after sick leave because of COVID. And yeah, those weeks suck and they're hustle. And that's when we're not the nicest place on the internet. But um, I'll just keep doing my best and hope that I'm raising a team of leaders who'll keep representing the best of this industry to the best that they can. How can we balance people and profit without leaning into that toxic space of demanding more from everyone every day? For Sheree to talk about that with me, while also recognising for herself how she's trying to change those toxic habits that we've all been exposed to, it's just so honest and vulnerable. And that brings me to this final chapter in our story. It's something you've had a little sneak peek at along the way, and something both Sheree and I share in different ways. We're going back to why Sheree is rebelliously different, both in her work, her business, and in who she is. I was never not going to be anything other than radically different. Like I was radically different from freaking primary school when I couldn't figure out my neurotypical peers. And, you know, I just, it became more and more obvious as time went on that I was really different to others, you know. So back to the blogging days, you know, I just kept realizing maybe through the uh, pattern recognition, people kept leaving the same comments on my blog. Oh my God, I've never seen someone write this way. I've never felt like I've known a complete stranger better than when I read this, you know, and it was just the same comments to the point of like, please don't get me wrong when I say this. I am so grateful for that commentary, but it was almost predictably boring. You know, it would be the same comments after the same. And I'm like, I know, <laughs> but I didn't want to be arrogant. I was. I don't think I'm actually a great writer. That's the truth. It's not anything to do with arrogance. I'm just writing the way that my brain is designed to speak to people. So right from the blogging days, I was like, oh, whatever I do, I'm going to be different in this industry. It's just going to feel different. So pushing forward to becoming the agency owner here at the Digital Picnic, we end up having a really different presence because of a lot of these things that my brain just can't do anything other than be really different in its approach. And we, as a result, I have a really different team than a lot of other agencies. You know, I attract, honestly, in my humble opinion, better people. Some of them make sacrifices to be here because they want to be, yeah, I've got people from large corporates moving away from massive corporate salaries that are three times as much as me, you know, and they say, I'm over here because I want to be a part of this. And even now, eight years later, our followers really, really feel like they know us and they back us and they're the people who sat in marketing professional roles during COVID when we lost 76% of our client portfolio overnight and they said, hey, have you got room to take on this 100K government tender? And I was like, fuck yes, <laughs> you know, please save my business, you know. Um, so, and they did that because they just freaking love us and wouldn't have even known the role that they played in getting us out of a really uncomfortable spot way back then. You're proudly autistic. I'm an ADHDer. We are members of one of the best clubs going around, I think, but as we both know, our neurodivergence poses plenty of ongoing daily challenges. 
even so, it does mean our brains do tend to work in some pretty incredible ways at times. What do you love most about your beautiful autistic brain? You know, I hear about other people sharing stories about things that they struggle with and I just think I can't relate. That isn't my struggle because of my autistic brain. I have the best relationship with my kids. Like it's, I love the way I mum because of my autistic brain. I'm fun. I'm funny. I'm a bit chaotic. I'm dark humoured. I'm continuously meeting them where they're at. Like my son's heading into his teenage years and I'm still there with him and I'm somehow continuing to engage with him when my friends are talking about their kids pulling away in really big ways and it's just because I've, I'm meeting him with seriously dark humour um, and humour that suits teen boys, you know. There's not a single week that I go through this life where I think, thanks, autism, but also fuck you, autism. There are so many weeks where I'm like, God damn, that, I paid an autistic tax there. I'm not going to dis count that or you know discredit but you know when you ask about the things that I love most about my autistic brain it's just there are so many things that I really do every single week take for granted and life feels in so many ways that feel like from what I'm hearing from lots and lots of neurotypical friends colleagues you know you get the gist um their challenges I can't relate to as an autistic you know person a lot of us can relate to having special interests and my special interest is people and it always has been I'm fascinated by people um, and I think that's why I don't struggle as an organizational leader as much as others do because at the crux of it I've got this really intense special interest in people you know I'm really good at recognizing patterns um, in everything like the shitty thing about that is Dave can't take me to any movie because I've called it five minutes in <laughs> I'm like oh okay predictable as fuck you know and he's like Sheree you know <laughs> um you're killing me kid you know um but the pattern recognition helps in other ways where I'll walk into a new group and I'm sorry to say but I spot the knock I'm like ew straight away I'm like oh you know um and then my friends are like no they're great they're great I'm like in my head I'm like no they're not <laughs> and six months later they're like oh this person was terrible I'm like mm. it's just those moments I just I just love that pattern recognition so much I spot these micro things that matter to people I can spot when someone has their feelings hurt in a literal microsecond and I just want to jump across and hug them. You know, I have just this abundance of empathy where I'm like, you just got your feelings hurt and this could be rectified if you both just did this, but you don't. So do you want to hug? Yes, I am a disabled woman. I am. There are really some hard things about my disability. There really is, even just financially, but so many other things as well. But there's not also a single week where I'm just like, oh, I love this brain. Thanks, Dad. I'm on such a journey with with accepting my brain and doing that thing that is so often I've, I now understand the process that comes from a late in life diagnosis of it's a grief grieving process really of going back over your entire life and going oh I see oh yes okay I understand that now and, and within this framing and I just love where you've got to and I'm sure it's an ongoing practice but to be framing those challenges from the perspective of the positives that they also give you. And I definitely, I feel that way as well about my brain sometimes and others, 
when I just can't find those shoes that I was sure I'd left there or I've promised something to the kids and then I've completely forgotten that I promised it to them and all of those things I still find a bit challenging. Um, I also wanted to say, does it make your team or people you you are able to do this too deeply uncomfortable when you know you can see in that split second, that flicker in their eyes or that slight change of body language and you call it out for them. Does it make them really uncomfortable? Because I do that too. And I could just see people go, oh God, she saw me. That's so annoying. Oh yeah. (laughs) I've stopped doing it because it just doesn't get a good response. And it's not that I'm hiding from the pattern recognition, but I've just learned that they don't like it cold in the moment for my team. It's just my team. I just don't think people are ready for my very quick like pattern recognition in that regard. And I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. Instead, I just all right, use the gift of pattern recognition and just surprise and delight with a maybe solution like in a different way a week or two from now. Absolutely. And I, you know, I have as an ADHD, I have really quite quite profound struggles with impulsivity um and it's it's really hard for me not to and often it's come out of my mouth before i've had the chance to even process it and so i've i'm on a path to to gaining a better practice with that because i love the impact that seeing those patterns can have but i want to go about it in a more constructive way uh, i just want to hug you right now through the screen cuz i just i do relate like i know i understand um and just the path for the late diagnosed folk. It's just a journey of like absolute radical self-forgiveness. That's the only way I could just get to a better spot. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's the gift that we are able to give though to our kids and their generation um, is the awareness and the empowerment of that awareness uh, in their younger years. You know what? I'm raising um, an autistic son who doesn't like people. You know, uh, he is, honestly, we could stereotype him very easily. He really doesn't enjoy being around people, only has a sort of (laughs) small circle of people who he finds, like, interesting. Honestly, we could easily put him into the stereotypical thing that a lot of people think is autism in the workplace. He's a solo kind of dude, and I love that he's going to walk in knowing that so much about himself and do what he needs to do with that knowledge. Now, me, um, I'm a special, like, not special, what's the word? Like I'm I'm a different brand of autism because I've just learned and through formal identification that I'm PDA, which is um, by its description, you know, pathological demand avoidant. Um, but we instead, you know, a more neuroaffirming approach or description of it apparently is a persistent drive for autonomy. All of that doesn't matter. One thing about PDA autistic folk is our absolute special interest in people. I don't want to go into it too much because I certainly only am at the early days of my understanding. And it just, when I learned this, it made sense of autistic me because I couldn't figure out why, why do I, as even as a deep, deep introvert, why do I love people so much? You know, even when they're shit, I'm like, you are so interesting. How do you be so shit? Um, and it is, it's my PDA profile. So only as recently as last week, we got this horrible comment on TDP socials where they said, you're faking your autism to financially benefit. And I thought, far out, mate, like, look at my salary. You've got no idea how much I am not financially benefiting from my autism. And it's ableist. I, I would have argued probably internalized ableism. And they must be thinking, but but you can't because you show up, you present on stages, you, you do this, you do that, you lead a team, you can't be autistic. And I'm like, 
Yes, I can. For me, it's the PDA situation. I know for folks who are autistic who aren't PDA are also just excellent people managers, pattern recognition, deep, deep, deep levels of empathy. So much empathy, we can't articulate it, which is why neurotypicals think we don't have it. You know, there's just so much at play because we are just so capable if we're given the respect that we deserve and and not held to these like limiting beliefs about what autism is in a workplace. Exactly. There is so much at play. There's definitely no rule book. Pretty much every single assumption that society has ever had at any type of neurodivergent brain is probably representative of about 1% of all the neurodiverse profiles that there are. I definitely grew up thinking that ADHD was that boy who couldn't sit still in a classroom. I love the visual in my head that I now have that a neurodivergent brain has like this big soundboard, you know, that sound mixing board in a recording studio that has lots of different dials and levers, but it goes on for miles. Everybody has different preferences across such a huge range of things. There's definitely no single representation of ADHD or autism or any of the other neurodivergent profiles. And unfortunately, there is so much negative discourse about it right now, especially about how people are faking it. But that's certainly not been my experience or Cherie's. And what's interesting here is that Cherie and I are inextricably linked in a way that I just never realised. We both can't not agitate for change. We both can't not push forward and innovate. It simply is who we are and how our brains work. And I'm just so glad that we've both landed in an industry and in roles and in businesses where that's exactly what's needed. Thanks for joining me on this journey. If you want to stay rebellious in how you practice marketing, how you show up in your workplace and how you live your life, please subscribe to The Content Rebels wherever you listen to your podcasts. This podcast was recorded on a Awabakal and Darkenjund country. Produced by Pod and Pen Productions. <laughs>